Hello and welcome back to the Haddington Shire Histories podcast. In this episode, I am joined by two highly esteemed gentlemen that I had the pleasure of working with. They were previously the local history officers at the John Gray Centre, and they are Mr. Bill Wilson, who recently retired from a long service with East Lothian Council, and Mr. Craig Statham, who is a respected author and currently a manager in the National Library of Scotland's Map Rooms. We will be reminiscing about some of the fascinating cases and stories that we have come across when helping customers with their family history research. So let's hear from Bill and Craig about some fascinating finds. Um, I came onto this job rather late. I've always had a fascination for history, but if anybody asked me local history, I might I may have poo-pooed it. However, that was until I got to the job, and it has been the best job I have ever had my entire life. Um, I am local, but I never knew the hidden treasures of East Lothian, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, and you see people come in the door, and you never, you know, no idea what they're going to ask you. Fulfilling. Absolutely. Uh, and Craig, would you like to tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, I would, I would. I would back up what Bill said. It is a fantastic job. I mean, I, I, I worked in East Lothian prior to to becoming local history and history officer in two thousand six. I worked on a scran project with museums. Um, and then I got the, the local history officer job in 2006 and stayed there till 2014. And it, it really was one of the, probably the best job I've ever had in my life. Um, it, it was just such an enjoyable job. And you never knew, as Bill said, what was going to come through the door. Um, every day was, you know, and people say this in, in, in lots of jobs, every day is different. But it really was. You know, you could be researching Musselboro one day, Dunbar the next, or Murder the next day. You know, it, it, you just didn't know. Um, and it was just such a fantastic job. It was one of those jobs where I think you actually enjoyed getting up in the morning to go to it, and, and there's not absolutely. many jobs that you can say that about. Yes, I absolutely agree. Um, I have worked with the both of you for many years now, and you know, uh, and I have assisted the both of you with various inquiries, and um, you know, we've enjoyed some uh, very interesting uh, chats about the kind of cases that. Uh, that we've had to deal to deal with, and uh, so I think that in our collective experiences, the most engaging part of working at the local history centre is helping visitors with filling in the gaps in their family history research, otherwise known as adding flesh to the bones. Would you agree, Bill? Oh yes, definitely. Um, it was it's not quite literally digging up their ancestors, but yeah, looking for their dead ancestors was. Wonderful. It could be frustrating at times, uh, depends on what they were going to furnish us with. But um, when you were on a roll, you were on a roll and you could at times be reluctant to give up. Absolutely. I remember us spending, you know, hours and hours helping the customers and really enjoying it. And Craig, did you find that this was true when you were in charge of local history? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, sometimes it got incredibly frustrating because people would come in and, and you would be trying to find something for them and you couldn't find something and you, and you desperately wanted. But on the vast majority of occasions, I think we found at least something. And I think I think at least 90% of the time, the person would go away happy that they had found something. And I, I think 
when I first started, the local history was, wasn't in the John Gray Centre. It was above the, the small church in, in Newton Port. And it was, it was a tiny little place. The and, wee balcony. Yeah, absolutely. This kind of mezzanine level that, that, that really heated up in the summer and, and cooled down so much in the winter. Um, that it was really uncomfortable place to work in, but it was really small. And I think most people came in there and thought, you know what, I'm not going to find anything here. I've been to the National Records or the National Library, these huge, impressive buildings, mm -hmm. and found so much information. And then I'm coming into this little hovel, essentially, that, that you know, but, but it was a treasure trove. And, and as I said, about 90% of people went away with something for the family tree. Now, the, um, we'll go through some stories as we go on with this, and some of, those, some of those findings were just phenomenal. And others could just simply be a birth notice in the, in the newspaper or a marriage notice, something as basic as that. But usually we would find something for the people who came in to do the research. Speaking about cases and stories, when I first started working on family history inquiries uh, at the John Gray Centre with, with the both of you, I don't know if you remember, but I had to deal with a customer who emailed us a black and white photo of a large house attempting to identify it. The customer's grandmother was born in Veitch Park in Haddington to a local solicitor. So she thought her family had occupied the impressive house in, well, what was allegedly Veitch Park. The customer's aunt had inscribed the word Amos Field on the photograph. And this was almost uh, 40 years ago. But as the aunt had passed away, other details and information about the family home was lost. I remember looking at uh, the photo with you, Craig, and the house did not look like one of the houses that, that was familiar to Haddington. Yeah. Uh, and in spite of this, I remember our team uh, browsing through the John Gray Center image collection, searched through the streets of Haddington via the Google map function, and even consulted a few local historians, but to no success. And just as we were about to admit a defeat, I decided to give it one more go and looked into the customer's family history via census information on Ancestry.co.uk. And at this point, I have to announce to listeners that uh, the library edition of Ancestry.co.uk is available free of charge to all members and registered visitors of the East Lothian Library Service. Anyway, coming back to the story, I discovered that our customer's grandmother had married a gentleman from Glasgow who was then a hat and cap manufacturer and they had lived in Renfrewshire. I then looked up the address given in the census, which led me to what is now East Renfrewshire. So when our then Heritage Resource and Development Officer, uh, the very esteemed Dr. David Anderson, uh, identified the stonework of the house as being more familiar to Glasgow, I did a simple Google search for address plus Amos Field, plus Glasgow. Lo and behold, there it was. I'm sure I was doing star jumps when I, when I found the house. Um, the house is still called Amos Field, and it was located in Glasgow and was advertised on an estate agent's website. It was clear uh, that the family that had lived in Haddington had taken the name Amos Field with them when they moved. 
So we then contacted the estate agents who were delighted with our story and gave us permission to reproduce uh, the current uh, photograph of the house. And the mystery was solved. And after that, even better, the present owner, which was a lady, uh, got in touch via the John Gray Centre website and we were able to put her in touch with our customer and a relative also doing her family history research all the way in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. So I think we were all very happy with that result. Yeah, I, I remember that. That was a, that was a nice one, actually. Um, but, you know, in terms of house names, it's one of the most frustrating things to do research on because they, they change so often. Absolutely. Um, you know, the person, that, that was an unusual one in that the name was retained through the ages. But quite often when a new person takes over a, a large house like that, yeah. they'll rename it to something that they want to name it. So really the only place you can find that information, and not even then not always, is in the valuation rules. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they never, so they never all come out because there's a few I remember was um, on our website, a gentleman from Italy got in touch with us to say, he found our website, thought it was fabulous. Could we help him with his family tree? Mm-hmm. And he told me when he was born, and he said he's trying to trace his father. It was rather unfortunate that um, it was nine months after, or nine months before, um, the entire Allied forces marched through Italy. So it may have been rather difficult to track down his father. Um, because he didn't know, and I don't think his mother actually knew as well. Um, and there was another one who came in, and she she was um, a love child, and okay. she she knew that she her mother had told her she had carried her to the court in uh, Haddington, and the father, the alleged father, once marched there. Um, by his commanding officer, and mm-hmm. he demanded, is this your child? No. So we had, it's one of these cases where, where was it, you know, where could he maybe have come from? Well, I think it was through in the West. And, you, you know, yeah. you were clutching at straws when you went online to have a look. And we actually found him. Wow. Um, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, he was dead. Um, wow. But we did find that he had uh, a brother. Um, so I actually went galloping along the street as dedication for you to tell this woman there was a brother. However, he had been killed in the Blitz in Glasgow. I think we all remember the most heartbreaking one was the inquiry from Australia. Oh, yes, yeah. I remember yeah. this. Please Which tell is, us. It's funny the, the family had left from Port Seton, which is where I was brought up. And I think it's one of these five pound palm tickets to Australia. And the wee lad that went, I think he was heartbroken going there. The only link he had with Port Seton, his real home, was this cool, um, the class photograph, which in order to try and make him stay in Australia, his parents, unfortunately, tore it up and burnt it, and this was his daughter getting in touch with us in the hope that we could supply a copy. Yes, that's right. I think what really got us um, with that story was, uh, I remember the daughter saying that he would, uh, I think they lived near the coast, 
or or something like that. And he would always go and see the ships come in, um, sort of to remind him of of Scotland, of of Port Seaton, or something. I think it was like... the hope of getting a ship back to Port Seaton. <laughs> yeah, and I think we were all yeah. feeling really emotional when we heard that and got to work. I don't know if you remember that, Craig. I don't, but I, I mean, I do have, I do have other stories, kind of very similar. Um, to try to think. Oh, yeah, there, there was one. I mean, and the kind of, the, I think the moral to this story is really, sometimes you don't get what you want, but if you search hard enough, you quite often will find something. Absolutely. Um, and and I think it was very similar to that. We had a family come in who were looking for information about their their. I think it was their great grandfather or grandfather. And he had been a senior police officer in Musselburgh, and I thought, well, you know, you get a gut feeling whether you're going to find stuff. And I thought, yeah, probably we're going to find something because he was such a senior officer. Mm-hmm. And we did so much searching, or I did so much searching. This was in the old uh, local history centre. Searched through everything I could think of uh, and couldn't find anything. And the family were just about to walk through, walk out the door. And I said, well, let's check the photographs. So we, we checked the photograph listing, and there was his name. And I thought, yeah. we've been through absolutely everything. Uh, we've found it. It's probably a bog-standard photograph of, of, of standing in a group of, group of policemen. Um, turned out it was a photograph of his funeral cortege. So, you know, oh something really, really, I mean, really hard to find. I mean, you'll never find that for the vast majority of people. They found a photograph of his funeral cortege. But that, that's, that's a kind of similar story, but where we found something in the end. But you know, there, there, are, there are that small number of stories that are quite heart-wrenching because you don't find anything. Absolutely. Talking yeah. about heart-wrenching stories. A lot of stuff's left hidden, isn't it? You just, it's yeah. lost forever. Um, unless you do something about it at the time. Uh and a good resources, you know, we need resources to help the people find their, as I say, their dead ancestors. Um, and you track the, I'm sorry, I'm going to drop it in here. Your book, Craig, Lost Harrington, um, that's always been a great resource. Uh, sorry, it was Lost, always a great resource. Yeah, when I worked, when I, yeah, when I worked, it was. Um, and, and these things, because I think people don't realise how old East Lothian is that and people have been living there for thousands of years. And um, another good way of tracking these things down is the it's the National Library of Scotland website. Um, and I used to get ribbed about you know somebody coming and asking about do you have any old maps? And they say, oh, well, go and see Bill, because I could spend hours on that place. It was a fabulous, fabulous website, and it really was. You can find so many things on that website. It's good. I recommend having a good look at it. You'll love it. Absolutely. The the web address for that is maps.nls.uk. But talking about heart-wrenching stories, um, you were mentioning, Mr. Wilson, I recently received an inquiry from a lady in Edinburgh and she's looking for her father. And uh, apparently her mother uh, fell in love with uh, this Italian gentleman who was working at a restaurant in North Berwick. Uh, I shall not name the restaurant. Um, the owners were uh, uh, Italian Scots. And um, of course they fell in love and, and she was um, you know, conceived, but he had to go back to Italy because he was already engaged 
to another lady there. So all this lady has is the first name, uh, if I'm not mistaken, or, or, or the name uh, of this gentleman. And so it turns out that, um, well, I did some digging and I even looked up the Scotsman newspaper via the National Library of Scotland uh, uh, website and I couldn't, couldn't find this gentleman's name, just the name of the restaurant being opened uh, in, in North Berwick and, and receiving new owners. But, you know, th this was really, really tough to, to deal with in terms of what what sort of advice do you do you uh, give uh, to a customer like this? It's like Craig said; they always leave with something uh, that that they can use. And and if you recall, we always if we don't have an answer, an image, or a newspaper article, we point our customers in the right direction, right? So yeah. it turns out that uh, in Italy, I don't know if you know this, uh, Bill. Um, they they record. Um, their citizens in, in a different way. And so the only thing I could ask her to do was to contact the Italian uh, embassy or HICOM uh, in Edinburgh. Uh, I think it is in Melville Street or something like that. And perhaps, you know, because it's, it, you know, of the nature of this this case, they, they might be able to help trace. So it, it was it was a bit sad not to be able to to provide her with with any details, she was hoping that you know a, a newspaper article would mention uh, the name of of staff, Italian staff, actually working uh, in in uh, this place in this uh, establishment in North Berry. So that's that's one of mine. Um, what about what about you, Craig? Were there anything that was particularly sad? Um. I've got a few sad ones, but they're, they're not, they're not, they won't really add a great deal more than what, you know, I had the, there was just the one lady who came in to find a photograph of her father, um, if we had one, and, and we, we found a photograph, well, actually she came in to look at the archives to find out information about his school, and I just happened to mm -hmm. look up the photograph index for her, and we found a picture of her father as a schoolboy in a school football team, you know, and she just yes. looked and burst into tears, but those, I think some, Bill mentioned something earlier on that's quite interesting, which is, you know, the, the key to research and, the, and one of the things I would say, actually, is that a lot of people who are coming, especially from abroad, don't really get local history centres. They always look at the national records in the National Library. Yeah. These are good places to do research, but they don't fully understand um, how much information is held within local history centres. You know, I think they, they look at these big national organisations and think that that's the place, and if you can't find it there, you're not going to find much else anywhere right. anywhere else. And I wholeheartedly agree. True. Yes, Sorry. that's right. Yeah, I, I think, and, you know, it's only, it's only. I remember a couple of Australian visitors came, and, and it was the last day of their, their trip, and they'd been to the National Archives, National Library, all these big national organisations. And I remember them leaving and saying, I wish we came here on the first day, because quite often you have more information in these national organisations and you also have that expertise. And I think one of the things that we can do that the national organisations probably don't have the time to do to a great extent is we index pretty much everything. And it's those indexes that allow us to kind of drag out stories that would never really ever have been found. And I remember one of the first jobs that I did when I came to local history centre, I was working with Sheila Miller, 
and she asked me if I wanted to do the, the book indexing. So this was basically to keyword every single book and extract information about East Lothian. So, you know, you could get one book and there would maybe be one mention of East Lothian in it. You could mm -hmm. get another book and there could be 200 mentions of East Lothian in, or places in East Lothian or people in East Lothian. So I key in, keyworded that whole book collection in the local history centre. So this chap came in a couple of years after I'd done it. And he was looking for information on his great-grandfather, who'd lived in Aberlady in the 19th century. So we did searches through most of the indexes, couldn't find a great, well, there was nothing, to be honest, apart from in the obvious places like censuses and so on. And he'd only lived in Aberlady from when he was born until the age of 14. And the chances of finding something substantial about somebody who's a child in the 19th century is, is, is pretty remote. You have to wait until they're adults and they get married or they get taken to court and so on. Um, but we found his great-grandfather's name in the book index. Um, so we went and searched it. it was, you would get a number and it would point you towards a book. So we searched on the number and we found the book. And it was John Pringle Reed's Aberlady Boyhood. So we looked into this book and right away we found his grandfather's name and it turned or his great-grandfather's name. And it turned out that his great-grandfather was best friends with John Pringle Reed. And this was a biography oh. of John Pringle Reed's childhood. Um, so basically, the chap got a biography of his great-grandfather from the ages of, I think it was about 8 to 14 years old, which is just unheard of, you know. Mm, and right. the, book, the book was actually republished uh, in recent years prior to him coming in, so he was able to go away and actually purchase a copy of the book. So, yeah, that was a really fantastic story, but it shows the benefits of those indexes, and that's something that local history centres tend to have the time to do, and, and national... Yeah organizations to a great extent don't yes yeah Although, and i agree with what you say craig about people coming at the last minute when we used to open up at the weekends um it was always a case of oh great i says yeah the, it, it, all information's on my laptop so i'll bring it in next week we're going home tomorrow and the yeah. amount of times i've heard that yeah you know, as the last oh god i wish i'd found you and the amount of people that always say to us i wish i'd had your job so you're not going to get it <laughs> um, it's it's yeah. ours. We're going to get yeah. carried out of here because I love it. Um, there's, can that's I mention my my Norwegian one? Oh yes, that that was a that's a, that's a very good family story. It, it, it was it was an inquiry from Norway. The guy's looking for his thing. It was great great grandfather um, who drowned possibly off the coast of East Lothian. Yes, their <laughs> ship I think um, crashed in uh, White White Kirk. Yeah, was it? Just, yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, in the bottom. So I had a look in uh, that wonderful index, the Courier, and it was mentioned that um, two people were washed up. The bodies were two were washed up, and the only thing that sort of pulled out was that there were initials embossed on the leather jacket of one of the dead sailors, and it was the same initials as his father, his, his ancestors, uh, that he was looking for, mm. and there were also. They were buried, it was recorded, they were buried in White Kirk Cemetery. So yes. I had a look at the monumental inscriptions, the burial book sort of thing, and it was mentioned that two of them were buried there. So I, I sent copies of the, the article back to him, and it just sort of kept up the, the to and fro of emails until eventually he came over and he dropped in to, to see me. So that's quite strange, is that the communication from a field and they come back and he actually come face to face with them. Yeah. And um he treated me to a, a lovely bag of sweeties. I was very yeah. grateful to it. Yeah. You can see that, that in your 
But my, one of my one of my favourite stories, actually, and, and this is it's quite interesting in a number of ways. You, you tend to get a, a kind of gut feeling when when somebody comes in to do research. You get a gut feeling whether the story has truth in it or whether it's been embellished, embellished. somewhat for, for family members. Uh-huh. Um, and and I got an American couple came in once, and their their grand they're, sorry the the chap's father was from East Lothian. Um, and had lived into his 90s and had, had got married in America and both him and his wife had lived in the 90s and had just celebrated their 75th anniversary before they had died. Um, they came in with this fantastical story and, I, you know, my right away my gut feeling was, yeah, this, it, there's maybe a string of truth in there because there usually is, but it's it's been embellished significantly. And the story essentially was... <laughs> The, 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 he had been a young boy, the, the, the chap's father had been a young boy in East Lothian and his father had taken him away to America and then he, no, sorry, he'd taken the sister away to America and then he'd come back and kidnapped this child and taken him to America as well. And he'd been a bit of a lad in America and um, the, the, his, the, the young boy's father had been a bit of a lad and he'd been there mm-hmm. but when Lerner and Lowe were writing Brigadoon and so on. And he kept, they, were, they kept coming out with these fantastical stories. And and <laughs> just my my stomach was just sinking uh, because, I, I, you know, I've heard it so many times and, and people don't want to be told that they're not true. So we couldn't find a great deal in our records. But what we did actually was we went onto the National Records of Scotland's catalogue to see if we could find anything in there. Okay. And there it was, there was various different court cases. He had, he had kidnapped the daughter, taken her to America via France, and then he had come back and he had kidnapped the son. And he had, So the, ba- the, the main basis of the story was actually true. You could figure that out. From, you didn't get to read the whole of the records from the National Records of Scotland, but you could read the basics of it. It was a court case related to him kidnapping the child. Um, so what he was saying was actually true. Wow. You know, so sometimes, sometimes we were wrong, our gut feelings didn't serve us well. And in that case, it didn't. It, it, the, the story that he had told his children was absolutely true, that he had been kidnapped by his father. But there was a nice kind of end to the story in that he came back to see his mother many years later. So it was, all, it was an interesting one. The customers will come in with, they'll come in with a history and in their eyes, everything there is true. Dates, yeah. names, everything. And then sometimes when you're looking at you have to kind of tactfully break the news that what they have carried around with them for years yep. isn't true. Yeah. Um, you don't like to. I mean, I have burst a few bubbles. Yes, one of them I, I actually... have the best burst bubble story of all time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the story and I, will cut, I'll, I won't give names and I won't give too much information. <laughs> but no, I won't. But um, there was a person in Scotland doing research who came over from another country, and I'll not name that country. Um, he came over and, and was doing research, um, and he came in with a list of um, ancestors. And these were the, these were the great and the good. You know, these weren't your your average ancestor. You know, these were John Knox and that that kind of level of ancestor. And there were there yeah, were a number yeah, yeah. of people on the list. And um, the last person on the list was Greyfriars Bobby. So the person that was dealing with them, uh, and I won't say where they worked or who they are, but the person that was dealing with them said, actually, there's a statue of your ancestor in Edinburgh. So this person (laughs) potted along to find the statue of their ancestor, which turned out to be a statue of a dog at Greyfriars Bobby. (laughs) 
You know, my one, um, they, they didn't exactly brag about it, but they, they, I think you kind of got the impression they were quite chuffed about the fact that their ancestor had been killed um, by the Flying Scotsman. So I got the name and the date that, that it occurred. I had a look at the courier, and it was actually the wee cold pug that was coming down through, uh, um, through Long Wintry. And it, was a, it wasn't until a few years later, quite a few years later, that the Flying Scotsman was actually built. Mm. So I don't know if they'd gone around telling too many people that their ancestor had been killed by the Flying Scotsman when it well, wasn't true. It, it's certainly a glamorous association. And, and I think we're all guilty uh, of, of that, you know, when you don't really have the facts. Um, that's why, as Craig said, you know, the local history centre and, and all its resources are very, very uh, essential when it comes to pinpointing um, the actual facts uh, for, for these people. Recently- I think, oh, sorry, Anita, I think, I, think I, I used to tell three people three things when they, come to, when they came to the local history centre. Um, one, and one of those things was don't believe everything you find, double check everything. You know, mm-hmm. even when it's in books, you know, it's not always right. Um, but primarily when, you, when people are finding things on the internet, you know, go and double check it. And that was one of the things I always said to people, double check your facts just to make sure, you know, people write things online and, you know, they want to tie things into their family trees. They want to be related to Greyfriars Bobby, you know, but <laughs> so I, I, used to, I used to say to people, you know, what, that, and that was one of the things that I would say was double check all your facts. Make sure you've got everything and make sure everything's right. My, I, I had an ancestor called uh, George Nisbet who was born in Musselburgh. There was another child called George Nisbet in Musselburgh who was born in Musselburgh within two months of, of him. So you can see how easy it would be to mix those two people up. So you've really got to, you've really got to, to kind of check your facts. The other, the other thing I would say to people is check everything. And I, and I mentioned the story earlier on about the, the funeral cortege finding the photograph, and we found that because we checked every single resource in the, in the centre. You know, don't give up. You Be tenacious. Somebody called me once, and I wasn't sure whether to take it as a compliment, but they called me a, a what was it, a, a, something like a terrier or something like that. Uh, it wasn't that, but it was something like that. But it was because I was tenacious. I wouldn't give up. I would, I would keep on going until I found some information. Um, and the last thing was something I mentioned earlier on as well, which was don't think you're going to find everything in the national institutions. Can I use the local history centres and the national institutions and mm-hmm. work between them? And if you, if you take those kind of three pieces of advice, you've, you've kind of got a solid foundation for doing your, your, your research, whether it's family research or local history research. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I always used to say, don't expect to get right all the way back to a, a, a cave in North Africa. You will hit brick walls, but there's always a way around it, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. Don't expect wealth and don't expect titles. Other than that, you can have a fabulous... Every time you find another generation, it, yeah. the, the feeling is absolutely fantastic. That's quite right. I think- I think there, there's a couple, you know, I think the story I heard about, you know, the, the, the programme, Who Do You Think You Are? The story I heard about that was that, you know, to, to show that not everybody's got an exciting background. You know, they, they present these backgrounds, they've got fantastic researchers doing research for Who yeah. Do You Think You Are? But the story I heard, you know, was about Michael Parkinson, where they had to give up on it. <laughs> every every yeah. generation went back, they were coal miners. And there was, yeah. there was just nothing in the family tree that was of massive interest to people who were going to watch it on television. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I think I think 
when people start doing the research, and I've quite often found this with people who, who come in, their goal at that moment when they come in for the first time is to trace their family history back as far as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. But I think when, when, when we started showing them what was actually available, especially in the 19th century when you got into the newspapers and got into the books and so on, what you could actually yeah. find about individual family members, you know, the, the flesh on the bones or the meat on the bones, their the, the focus changed from trying to go back as far as possible to, to, to researching individuals and finding out what their yeah. lives were like, you know, finding out yeah. about the local area, what, what situation did they live in? What, you know, was it poverty? You know, were, were people dying of smallpox? You know, what was their life like? What did they work at? What, you know, were they ever in court? You know, all these little things, and they tr- they, would, they would tie together a story of their ancestors' life, um, and and it's quite an easy thing to do. It's it's yeah, it many, a- in many ways it's easier than actually tracing back a family tree as far as you can go. Yeah, there's a guy came in with a, a friend or a relative from Canada, and he went on to the Courier Index, and. Everyone that came up, it was in the courier, it was in the court section in the courier because they were criminal, criminal, criminal. But the thing is, they'd been recorded, they were there, they could yes. find out maybe if there was a, a sister or a brother where they lived, the name of the parents. It was a great source. But yes, they wanted to, to get back to the cave in North Africa as soon as possible. I kind of blame, I used to love who do you think you are, but then when I started there, people had the assumption that half an hour and you can get the entire history. It doesn't Absolutely. work that way. It doesn't. Yes, people, people would come in and expect uh, us to produce uh, an episode of who do you think you are for them. Um, yeah, there was yeah. an American came in with his wife one morning and or it, not just him, but you get quite a few inquiries saying, you know, it, the inquiry got, they kind of got the impression that they were looking for the the Thompson book or the Davidson book on your shelf, which would have the entire history of that name of that family. It just didn't yes. work. He came in all the way from America. He had a woman's name and a rough idea of a date of birth. And that was it. You know, yes. it's, we're good, but we, you know, we have our limitations. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, there's, there's so many things out there yet to be found. Um, it's it's a it's a fascinating place. Uh, it was a fascinating job because people would come in and they would tell you things that you had no idea about. Uh, it's just another thing to add to the history of East Lothian. Absolutely, but there was an interesting point made earlier. I don't, I can't remember who made the point earlier on, but in terms of you know. You're not, you're not expecting to do your family tree in, in half an hour. You know, it yeah. takes a yeah. substantial... You know, people people spend years. People spend their whole retirement. Yes, you know, 10, doing, 20 years. Even. Yes, I know. I think, I think there's probably no better time to do your family tree than now or, lo- or do local history research because as we move online and everything turns digital, you know, we're getting access to resources that, that we were never able to in the past get access to. You know, if you wanted, for example, to look at a newspaper in the past, you had to actually physically work your way through the newspaper. Or if, if you'd had, if, if East Lothian had volunteers who would transcribe some of the articles from newspapers, which was really, really helpful. Um, but now 
they're all digitized. We're starting to get them all digitized. They're not all digitized yet, but we're getting there. And and to be able to just jump into a newspaper, type in a word, and for a hundred articles to come up related to that word, you know, it's just so easy to do research now yeah. as opposed to how it was in the past. I recently um, received two inquiries from Poland. The first one, um, I think Bill might be familiar with this, was from a gentleman who's looking for, I'm not sure if it was his great-grandfather or his grandfather, who was an officer um, and billeted in, in the north of Scotland, I think. And they, they were pretty sure that uh, he was in Scotland because apparently he, this was during the Second World War, he was supposed to go back to Poland and uh, bring back to Scotland a member of his family. Uh, it turns out that he arrived in Scotland with another officer's uh, wife um, and they made it, but then they don't know they cannot place exactly where he was. Unfortunately, uh, they approached the Ministry of Defence and the Ministry of De Defence, quite rightly, you know, for security purposes, etc., cetera, uh, were not able to release all his records without proof of um, connection. Um, so that was, a, that was a tricky one because that, that wasn't specific to East Lothian, but they tend to, to contact us at the John Gray Centre to see, you know, if we can point them in the right direction, you know, would he have been mentioned somewhere in the newspapers in, in Scotland, because you're mentioning British Newspaper Archive, uh, to pinpoint his, his location. And well, we're talking about World War II here, you know, unless, as Bill mentioned, you know, he did something fantastic that warranted his name to appear in, um, in a newspaper, it, you know, how are we to know where he was? So, so that was a, a difficult one. And another one recently, a gentleman had a collection of photographs. And this one was more related to East Lothian. His grandfather was in East Lothian um, and he wasn't sure exactly where. He thought that the, uh, the grandfather was training in Gullen, uh, you know, at the fire school, Bill. Uh, mm -hmm. Before it became the fire school. Yeah, and, and you know, all these um, these questions. And he had photos of Polish soldiers sit sitting in the grounds of houses. It could have been anywhere. It could have been in Gosford. It could have been in the north of uh, Scotland somewhere. Um, these are some of the more tricky ones uh, that I found, you know, that that I, I couldn't I couldn't really give a definitive answer for, uh, in spite of, you know, like what Craig suggested, plowing through our photograph collection to see if something in the background would match something in our collection and so on and so forth. So, you know, it, it's been quite tricky. Yeah. What what about what about the both of you? Uh, what do you think, Craig? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of difficult ones, the, you're right. I mean, I think the, the ones about foreign soldiers tend to be, you know, the German prisoners of war, Italian prisoners of war, the Poles who were over here, they're, they're, they're difficult to, to, to get information about. You tend to be ones where you pass them on to other organisations. Um, they're really hard to find. It, 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 there's, 
I think people have just got to be, if we're doing research like that, that's really difficult. I think they've got to be aware that, you know, I th yeah, we, we, we all, we're always a bit wary about what stuff that's on the internet, but there are some fantastic groups online. And, you know, you mentioned the Polish one earlier on, and it was actually, I don't know if you know this, but it was me that passed it to you, the photographs. It was me that passed the chap on to you. Um, but he initially came to a fantastic group online on Facebook called Polish First Armoured Division. Um, and, you know, it's worthwhile checking because some of these groups do, they're, they're, they're filled with experts. You know, so, the, you know, if, there's, if you're doing a particular research on a particular railway, for example, you might want to search if there's a group that's got an interest in that railway because that's where the experts will be and that's where you're most likely to get information. I think, yeah, I mean, but I think those, those Second World War soldiers tends to be quite a difficult one. You know, in a hundred years' time, I don't think that will be the case. I think well, it will be much, much easier to find information. But as of now, I think it's it's really difficult to find information about German, Italian prisoners of war, Polish soldiers, and so on. Yes. Yeah. In in terms of tracing your 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 soldier ancestors through through the war, you can almost do it on a day to day basis. My my grandfather was in the first Polish armored division. Um, and I've not done his on a day-to-day -day basis, but although I have a rough idea because I got his military records and it, it basically walked through his war. Um, so I could tell where he was generally, you know, if, when he was in St. Andrews, when he was in, uh, when he was in Wilhelmshaven and, and various different places throughout Europe and looking at photographs, the backs of photographs and so on. So I was able to essentially trace his war. But I think you can go down to the national records and some of these things are online now. But you can go down to the national records um, and look at the war diaries, and mm -hmm. it basically traces it through day to day, um, tells you where where any regiment was on any particular day. So you can you can get a pretty good as long as you know the regiment that your your ancestor was in, then you can get a pretty good uh, view of where they were during the war, first or second. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we've had quite a few war inquiries, just like the. Uh... Uh, you know, especially in, in the period between uh, 14 to 18, um, we had lots of, uh, not just locals, but uh, customers from overseas coming in. And um, recently, even if you remember, Bill, the American couple uh, who came in uh, looking for uh, her World War I ancestor, uh, whom oh, I yes. found, um, you know, um, whose grave I found in, uh, in France, or was it Belgium? And then she discovered something else as well. Um, can you recall that, Bill? Yes. Um, we, we, uh, you, you found the grave and where he was laid to rest. And yeah. she was so happy about that. And she even said to her husband, uh, maybe we can go there, honey, to where he replied, no way, no way. <laughs> so then we found that he was, um, the other ancestor was in Musselburgh. And we found him on the the census yeah. and it was great because what happened is he had um, he had a house overlooking the Esk I think it was the River Esk and he had a housekeeper and um, a nanny I don't think there was a, a wife mentioned but he was a skinner and a tanner and I think there's one or two tanneries in Musselboro mm -hmm. uh, showed me another piece of paper with the name of a house in it and right away I thought oh no they're falling in hard times because I don't know if you remember it um, Craig, it's a house which was the poor house but it was also yeah. part of it was also the lunatic asylum 
so over in Fisher Row. Yeah. Um, so, um, but fortunately, when I said it was after it had been shut down, they bought it after it was no longer the asylum and the poor house, much to my relief. So it's great. So you can go into Google um, Street Maps and show them it. See, that there is where your ancestors stayed. And she was, oh, she was so hard. She says, you can take the bus up and see it. So I said to her, I says, well, quite honestly, if he's not going to take you to, um, to France, he's not going to take you to Fisher Row. That's definite. But again, it's one of these situations where they get excited about it, you get excited about it, and you absolutely a bit more and a wee bit more to find. But she was so happy about that. Now, um, maybe we can we can finish up, uh, gents, by talking about maybe um, one of our favourite uh, cases or inquiries. Can you recall? Any particular favourite or favourites, uh, Craig? I think probably most of the ones that I've, I've mentioned so far, the Aber Lady Boyhood one where the chap found his great-grandfather's sister mm -hmm. was a great one. I think most of the ones that I, I really enjoyed were ones where I've taken an active role in creating something that allowed them to find that information. But I think one of the one of my favourite projects, which I kind of remembered when you were talking about World War One. And you'll know about this, Anita, because you continued this project and expanded it once it was finished. Yeah. But what I started to do one day was just take out all the photographs from the, the courier of First World War soldiers and from the Musselboro News of First World War soldiers, and I put them in a, a kind of booklet and extracted all of these, and I created an index. And Very useful index. Yeah, and you expanded that project, and we started taking information from other newspapers later on, but it started off with just the courier in the, in the Musselboro News and the, in the, the Harringtonshire Advertiser. And I initially created a list of probably about 200 photographs yeah. of World War so one of the soldiers. Yeah. And there was one that stuck out for me, and I, I, put the, I put the booklet on the shelf. First day on the shelf, somebody walked in and said, I'm looking for information about this person from Musselboro. And I recognised the name right away because it, yeah. was the, it was the photograph that had stuck out for me throughout the whole of the project I'd been creating. His name was quite unusual. It was, I've never quite figured out whether it was actually Yorkston or Yurston. And the, it stuck out because it was a great story behind it. Yurston. Yeah. And, and he, he came in the very first day this was on the shelf and said, I'm looking for this chap called Yurston from, from Musselboro, or Yorkston from Musselboro, who died during the First World War. And I said, I've got the booklet for you. I've got a photograph of him and everything. It's, on, it's the first day it's on the shelf. And the reason it stuck out for me was that basically he had went to the, world, the, the First World War prior to the first Christmas. And he had wrote a letter back to his wife saying, oh, the war's going to be over soon. Um, but on Christmas Day, we all jumped up over the, over the out of the trenches into no man's land, and we had cigarettes and swapped cigarettes and cigars with the Germans, and, and we yeah. joked about who was going to win the war. They didn't play football, but they, they did other things like swapping cigarettes and cigars and so on. And he wrote this letter back to his wife telling her about his Christmas Day, the first, you know, Christmas 1914. Um, and he was he was all... You know, he was he was ready to win the war. He thought the war was almost won. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was to go on for another four years. And unfortunately, just a couple of weeks after this, he died. He was shot. So um, 
was, that, that was just, it was a really sad story and he wrote this wonderful letter to his wife who had a young child um, and a couple, of year, a couple of weeks later he was killed. But the family was able to come back and on the very first day that I put this this folder on the shelves, they came mm -hmm. in and they found this this World War One soldier and they found a photograph of the World War One soldier. That's a beautiful story. I have to say, um, I, you know, working on the World War One project and looking at the images that appeared on uh, the newspaper articles in both the Haddingtonshire Courier and Advertiser, um, I compiled, uh, a, uh, you know, a database uh, of all the soldiers whose names appeared uh, have or have appeared in the East Lothian World War One memorials. Now, this project is ongoing because, uh, as you know, there are additions, particularly in Dunbar, corrections. Um, members of the public have come in to provide correct details, uh, and you know, because the database is published on our website and there are some names with no details because the names are similar to somebody else's names but it's been great uh, the response from the public because they've come in oh that's my ancestor here are the details but i i have to agree as harrowing as it was because as you read their stories and i'm looking at at their pictures and and as weird as it sounds um you know sort of falling in love a little bit with with these soldiers who will always look this young and you know who, who have fallen um mm. it, it does strike you and but but when they they the, the family members come in and and find a, a photo a photograph appearing in the newspaper or sharing their stories it is really really rewarding um so bill you know what's rewarding for you what was the most favorite and most rewarding um case for you or inquiry if you, can you recall um... That's difficult for me because I'm a lot older than you two, um, so I've got age <laughs> against me. Um, what was rewarding is <clears throat> I used to do quite a few talks. Um, mm -hmm. If anybody wanted to do a talk, I would be asked to do it. And we used to do one called East Lothian at War. And uh, one in particular, and I showed a photograph of this very young sailor. And, yeah. and they, were, they were amused and puzzled that there was a sort of a a, a close contact with the war. I mean, I'm used yes. to get some strange, strange questions from me primary school saying, please, mister, were you in the war? <laughs> no, no, not me. <laughs> My father, but not me. So, yeah, yeah, that was, I enjoyed doing that, um, going around all these places, just to introduce them to the, as I say, the hidden treasures of East Lothian. It was, there's, there's so much more out there to be dug up. Um, not literally, not literally, but yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating time, um, which can be taken on a lot further, and I. Everybody should do it, um, not just the family tree, but what can interest you in the history of East Lothian. There's a lot to it. And Craig, any final uh, words before we close? Um, I, I would just say that uh, I would just reiterate really the fact that you know if if people are doing research, don't limit it to the the national organisations. The national organisations are absolutely the, a place to go. You know they've got they've got fantastic resources, many of which are listed on the on their catalogues. Um, 
But don't discount the, the local history centres. I, I think in many cases, local history centres are better than, than the national organisations when you're doing family history research because you've, we, they, they generally are tied to an archive service as well um, and to a museum service and to an archaeology service like in East Lothian. And you can get yes. huge, huge amounts of information from local history centres. So yeah, I would work in conjunction between the national organisations like the National Records of Scotland, like the National Library, like Historic Environment Scotland, which used to be the Royal Commission, um, and your local history centre. And then one, the local history centre also has the expertise, so it can point you to various places. We don't, you know, one of the things I always used to find with people was they always, for some reason, especially people who were coming from Australia or America or Canada, they would quite often try and contact the local history society. Yes. And I would say that's not a great idea because many of them, are, you know, the, all, the, all the local history society, many of the local history societies do is hold monthly talks. But there are people yeah, within yeah. some of these societies which are, who, who, are, who are incredibly knowledgeable and yes. we know who these people are. So if yes. there's a case where we need to contact somebody from a local history society, we can do that. We can get them in touch with that person. Absolutely. Um, but I think the local history centre really is one of the first places people should be contacting in terms of, you know, where, where should we go? And the local history centre will tell you whether, it, whether that should be the local history centre whether it should be the national organisations or whether we have contacts within the local history societies. Well, I would just to recommend the Edinburgh Genealogical Society in Edinburgh. Yes. The Scottish one. Scottish, gene Scottish Genealogy Society. Genealogy Society, yeah. yes. Yeah. That's right. Because I've been up there myself, a fabulous resource to really bend over backward to help you. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, that was absolutely fabulous it was really great to reminisce about some of our old cases and you know talk about how members of the public can expand their research um and you know how lo local history centers can help i i really really appreciate uh that the both of you have, have made time uh, to come and chat in our podcast today uh, thank you so much and i do hope that you'll both come back and do another podcast in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Anita. Yeah, enjoy that. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. I hope you have enjoyed listening to me reminiscing with our previous local history officers, Bill Wilson and Craig Statham, about some of the fascinating inquiries that we have dealt with. Do look out for more conversations with expert guests on East Lothian's history in the rest of our podcast series. So for now, take care and goodbye.